MSW Media. Big shout out today to Helix Sleep. Take their two-minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, May 15th, 2023. Today, Representative George Santos has admitted to his fraud in Brazil to avoid prosecution in absentia. Former Marine Daniel Penny has been charged with manslaughter in the choking death on the New York subway. A porn-friendly bank wants to help fund Trump's Truth Social. A House Republican report finds no evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden. Durham's investigation has ended with nothing to show for it. Trump gets schooled again by a federal judge. And questions linger over what CNN offered Trump in exchange for his town hall last week. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hey, everybody. Happy Monday. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Thanks to all the patrons who stopped by the happy hour cocktail, ask me anything, uh, you know, bi-weekly thing that we that we do for patrons. That was Friday, every other Friday at four Pacific and seven Eastern. It was wonderful to see you all. Some really great questions. Patrons, that should be up and available now to watch for you. And if you're not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com slash she wrote. Dana is out. She's traveling today and tomorrow doing her amazing work with the uh, human rights campaign, but we will have her back on Wednesday. But today I have a special guest who's going to join me for an interview. And then I'm going to see if I can talk him into reading the good news. It's Ben Folds. So I'm very excited to speak with him. Also, hmm, House Republicans. First of all, if you are a patron of Clean Up on Out 45 and you got to hear Pete Strzok's rant this weekend, congratulations. It was one of the best rants I've ever heard. But the House Republican report, what he was referring to in several of those moments, has come out. And Comer says that he can't locate the whistleblower informant now. And that report that came out showed absolutely no wrongdoing by the Biden administration or anybody in the Biden family. And we're going to go over that in detail on this Wednesday's cleanup on L45. Also, the Durham report should be coming out soon because the investigation is apparently over. According to American Oversight, which is a watchdog group, they filed a FOIA request and all their FOIA requests for the Durham investigation had previously said, we can't hand you this stuff because of an open and ongoing investigation. Well, they've changed that language now. They were no longer saying open and ongoing investigation. And that is a big clue to the fact that perhaps the Durham investigation is finally over. They got zero convictions. They only had two indictments. Both of those folks were acquitted. And I know a lot of you might say, well, what about that Kleinsmith guy, that that lawyer, that FBI fella who changed the verbiage in an email uh, with respect to the informant characterization, I guess, of, of one Carter Page? And uh, that that was the inspector general that found that. And he pled guilty and didn't serve any time in jail. So that wasn't anything that had to do with Durham. But uh, a lot of money was spent, and we'll find out those final details. His report, by the way, has to include any crimes he found and if he declined to prosecute any, why he declined to prosecute any. 
And I'm pretty sure that when he was in Italy trying to track down Mifsud, he found a Trump crime. And uh, that will have to be included in his report, why he didn't prosecute that crime and what the crime was. Now, he could leave it out, but that would be against special counsel regulations. Of course, I think he'll probably leave it out because the only thing that happens to you if you violate special counsel regulations is you get fired as special counsel. I think he's done anyway, and I don't think Merrick Garland would fire him anyhow because of the, you know, political backlash that could that could happen. But anyway, be interesting to see. I think it would be telling if he left it out of the report. I think that would tell us quite a bit. All right. Uh, we have a lot of news to get to, so let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up from CBS News, Daniel Penny, the man seen on video putting Jordan Neely in a chokehold on the subway, turned himself in Friday morning and appeared before a judge. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office charged Penny, a 24-year-old Marine veteran, with second-degree manslaughter in Neely's death. Just after 8 a.m., Penny and his attorney, Thomas Kenneth, arrived at the 5th Precinct in Lower Manhattan. Penny appeared somber, did not speak to reporters. And after Penny surrendered, police brought him to Manhattan Criminal Court for his afternoon arraignment, where he waived the reading of his charges and was not required to enter a plea. During the arraignment, Penny's attorney told the judge, Penny has been cooperating with police and the DA's office. He has strong ties to New York City, they said. He's attending a four-year college in pursuit of a bachelor's degree in architecture. He enlisted in the Marine Corps when he was a teenager, spending four years there before being honorably discharged. Attorneys added, while serving, Penny earned multiple medals and ribbons for good conduct. Now, as a veteran myself, I'm tired of service being used as an excuse for deplorable behavior. If anything, we should be held to a higher standard. Here's looking at you, General Mike Flynn. And from Channel 4 New York, a day after embattled New York Rep. George Santos pled not guilty to charges in the United States, he signed an agreement Thursday with public prosecutors in Brazil to avoid prosecution for two ongoing stolen checks in 2008. Uh, what would have been the start of a case was ended today. That's what Santos's lawyer in Brazil, Jonimar Vascalesos, that's what that attorney told the Associated Press in a text message. As such, my client is no longer the subject of any case in Brazil. Asked about the details of the non-prosecution agreement, Vascalesos demurred, citing the fact that the case proceeded under seal. <laughs> the public prosecutor's office, Rio de Janeiro, also declined to comment when contacted by the Associated Press. Court records in Brazil, first uncovered by the New York Times, show that Santos was the subject of a criminal charge for using two stolen checks to buy items at a shop, including a pair of sneakers that he gifted to a friend. At the time, Santos would have been 19. The purchase totaled 2,144 Brazilian reis. That equals about 1,350 bucks, according to the charges prosecutors filed in 2011. That followed an investigation opened in 2008 and Santos's signed confession in which he admitted to having stolen the checkbook of his mother's former employer from her purse and making the purchases, including in the store, and recognizing the fraudulent checks as those he had signed, according to the court documents. He admitted to all of it. A judge accepted the charges against Santos in 2011, but subsequent subpoenas for him to appear personally or present a written defense went unanswered. He was on the lam. And with authorities repeatedly unable to determine his whereabouts, the case was suspended in 2013. That changed after he popped up in the U.S. congressional election by winning his seat. And the subsequent flurry of media attention focused on his dubious credentials. Oops. Rio State prosecutors 
then petitioned to reopen the case. Per terms of the non-prosecution agreement, Santos will pay 24,000 reyes, almost five grand, with the majority going to the shopkeeper who received the bad checks and the remainder to charities. Santos attended the meeting virtually. Resolution of the case removes the possibility Santos might have been obliged to travel to another country to resolve pending charges. That could have been complicated after he was forced to surrender his passport for his U.S. charges. But of course, the Brazilian government said that they would have prosecuted him in absentia, meaning he didn't have to be there. (laughs) On Wednesday in New York, Santos pled not guilty to charges he stole from his campaign and lied to Congress about being a millionaire while collecting unemployment benefits that he didn't deserve. And from the Associated Press, Donald Trump was ordered Thursday to appear by video at a May 23rd hearing in his Manhattan criminal case after the judge this week set rules barring him from using evidence in this case to attack witnesses. I guess he's got a history of that. This is Judge Juan Manuel Marchand. He scheduled the hybrid hearing. The former president uh, will be on a TV screen. His lawyers and prosecutors will be in court to go over the restrictions with Trump and make clear that he risks being held in contempt if he violates them. His case is continuing in state court, even as Trump's lawyers have filed a motion to move it to federal court. U.S. District Judge Alvin Hellerstein, who is considering the transfer request, issued an order this week setting paperwork deadlines for late June. There's going to be a hearing. That's that's the hearing to whether or not he can move this to federal court. Mershon, still in charge while that drama plays out, agreed to instruct Trump on the rules by video rather than in person after a prosecutor reminded him last week that bringing Trump to court would present mammoth security and logistical challenges. Trump's April 4th arraignment, where he pled not guilty to 34 felony counts of falsifying business records, attracted a crush of media, but not too many protesters. Uh, It was pretty empty in the streets, actually. It was like five reporters for every Trump supporter. Quote, we'll set up the camera for Mr. Trump to appear wherever he is at that time, and we'll do it here in the courtroom virtually. That's what Mershon said. Marshawn issued what's known as a protective order on Monday, days after the hearing, where he urged Trump's lawyers and prosecutors from the Manhattan DA's office to reach a compromise regarding the Republicans' access to and use of evidence turned over by prosecutors prior to trial. That kind of evidence sharing, called discovery, as we know, is routine in criminal cases, and it's intended to help ensure a fair trial. Prosecutors sought the order soon after Trump's arrest, citing What they say is a history of making harassing, embarrassing, and threatening statements about people he's tangled with in legal disputes. Mershon added Trump's virtual hearing to the court calendar a day after Trump appeared on a CNN forum and offered up a barrage of falsehoods, excuses, and insults on a variety of topics, including what he deemed the fake charges in New York. Mershon's protective order bars Trump and his lawyers from disseminating evidence to third parties or posting it to social media, And it requires that certain sensitive material shared by prosecutors be kept only by Trump's lawyers, not Trump himself. Trump can review that material with his lawyers, but he can't copy or photograph it, according to the order. Mershon, noting Trump's status as a former president and current candidate, made clear at last week's hearing that the protective order should not be construed as a gag order or a way of preventing Trump from speaking publicly about his case. Quote, I'm bending over backwards and straining to make sure that he is given every opportunity possible to advance his candidacy and to be able to speak in furtherance of his candidacy, Mershon said. The last thing I want to do is infringe on his or anybody else's First Amendment rights. This is a right move by Judge Mershon. It sets up an easy finding of contempt should Donald fail to follow the court's instructions. And I think 
running for president is it's not so much going to impact the investigations that are going on, say, at the Department of Justice, but in the court, in courtrooms, that's how it could. Judges bending over backwards to ensure they don't infringe on his First Amendment rights as a candidate for president. I think that's where we might see any trouble if we see any at all. All right, next up from Harwell at the Washington Post. And this is a hell of a story, y'all. An obscure financial entity with connections to a Caribbean island bank that bills itself as a top payment service for adult entertainment sites would gain a sizable stake in Donald Trump's media company if the merger deal proceeds. That's according to internal documents a company whistleblower has shared with federal investigators and the Washington Post. Remember, the Southern District of New York is investigating the DWAC-SPAC Truth Social merger. Federal investigators are, are looking into this. But the role that ES Family Trust would assume in Trump Media and Technology Group has never been officially disclosed to the Securities and Exchange Commission or to shareholders in DWAC, the Digital World Acquisition. That's the special purpose acquisition company uh, that has proposed, the SPAC that has proposed merging with Trump's company. The companies also have not disclosed to shareholders or the SEC that Trump Media paid almost a quarter of a million dollars finder fee to help arrange the $8 million loan with ES Family Trust, or that the recipient of that fee was an outside brokerage associated with Patrick Orlando, Digital World's CEO. Ooh, seems like a, ah, a little bit of a conflict of interest, Patrick. Where ES Family Trust obtained that money and who's behind the trust remain publicly unknown, omissions that unnerved some of Trump media's top executives when they first learned of the loan in late 2021. That's according to Will Wilkerson, a whistleblower who at the time was the company's executive vice president of operations. The financial tangle offers a possible explanation for why the SEC has yet to approve the deal. Washington Post has been unable to find any registration documents for ES Family Trust. ES Family Trust has made no public statement. A guy named Postalinikov, whose name appeared on the referral fee document, is an owner of Paxum Bank and employs Pesheo, ES Family Trust's named trustee. Postalinikov said in a 2018 federal court filing that he is the principal of Paxum Bank and a company statement in March called him its primary owner. Paxum itself also remains a mystery. The company has promoted itself online as a way for video streamers of adult content to coordinate financial transactions across international borders. And in 2021, Paxum's then chief executive, Andre Oktav Moyes, told BCAMS Magazine that's a trade publication for the business of live webcam models, that the bank was proud and happy to be considered the number one trusted payment service for the adult industry. Before Paxum, Postolinikov worked as an entrepreneur in Russia, running a now-defunct online car rental company in St. Petersburg. In 2016, he bought Deckco, a London-based payments firm. That's according to his online profile. In British business filings, last year, Deckco said he is the shareholder of Paxum and Deckco's chief executive and the ultimate controlling party. Postolinikov in March 2021 gave $30,000 to the re-election campaign of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, according to a contribution list published last year by the political committee Friends of Ron DeSantis. 
Now, Postolinikov is the nephew of Alexander Smirnov, a former deputy justice minister in the Russian government. That's according to a 2016 report by Delavoy Petersburg, a Russian business newspaper. Smirnov, this guy's uncle, became general director of the state-controlled maritime company Rosmorport in 2021. The Guardian reported in March that federal prosecutors in New York have been investigating whether Trump media loans violated money laundering statutes, which mandate that companies and investment advisors take steps to learn basic information about their lenders and clients. After the Guardian's report, an online news outlet in Dominica called Nature Isle News published a response attributed to an unnamed firm representing Paxum and Postolinikov. That response said Postolinikov was a U.S. citizen and had for two years been the subject of a false media smear that have originated in Russia, all to blackmail Anton into paying Bitcoin to remove the stories from the internet. Representatives for Trump Media and Digital World did not respond to requests for comments for this story. So, what a tangled web we weave. Speaking of The Guardian from Hugo Lowell, Donald Trump believes he got everything he wanted from the controversial town hall hosted by CNN, according to multiple people close to him, even as it embarrassed the network, and prompted a wave of outrage, including from many of its own staff who were upset that it gave Trump a platform to lie to a large audience. The former president was interested in doing a town hall mainly because it would give the campaign material to clip for social media. He was interested in doing it on CNN because the campaign reached an understanding, which a spokesperson denied, that it would book more Trump surrogates. Trump was not particularly concerned by whether the broadcast would get high ratings, though he told CNN's chief executive Chris Licht backstage that he would boost their ratings, to which Licht nodded and said he should have a good conversation and have fun. That's according to two people. Uh, Just so you know, that got 3.3 million views, that town hall. Biden's got 3.8 million views. Cassidy Hutchins' testimony, 13 million views. Hugo goes on to say Trump's advisors saw the town hall ultimately as a strategic win for the former president, who reveled in playing off the live audience of Republican and Republican-leaning voters in New Hampshire, which is hosting the first 2024 GOP presidential primary, and talked over the CNN moderator, Caitlin Collins, as she tried to fact-check him in real time. Afterwards, Trump allies joked that the event in their eyes amounted to an hour of Trump infomercials and should be recorded as an in-kind campaign contribution, and that Trump's nearest rival for the nomination, Ron DeSantis, would be crushed in a similar debate. The event which saw Trump mock the writer E. Jean Carroll, whom he had just been found liable of sexually abusing and defaming, may not help him in a general election, especially among female voters. Joe Biden later tweeted, it's simple, folks. Do you want four more years of that? If you don't, pitch into our campaign. In stark contrast to Trump's jubilation, I guess, the mood inside CNN was dour amid widespread reports of internal disgust. The network's own media reporter, Oliver Darcy, wrote in his newsletter on Wednesday that it was hard to see how America was served by the spectacle of lies that aired on CNN. But the Trump campaign appears to have got what it wanted out of CNN, in part because it negotiated the terms of the event with an unusual degree of leverage, and that's according to multiple people. Familiar. For starters, Trump's team for months played hard to get with CNN, CNN first reached out to him to do the town hall almost as soon as he announced his candidacy. However, the campaign had always been more likely to go with CNN over NBC or Fox, the other major networks in talks to host an event. 
The campaign already had pro-Trump commentators and surrogates appearing on Fox News shows. And while MSNBC had recently higher ratings than CNN, the liberal network was seen by advisors as being inhospitable compared with the Licht-era CNN that has tried to cater more to Republicans. Trump's team also figured that CNN worked for its needs because it could have Caitlin Collins as the moderator, a rising star, quote-unquote, who co-hosts the network's morning show, but also has remained on the Trump beat and has taken care to preserve her access relationship with the ex-president. Pairing Collins with Republicans, who mostly voted for Trump in 2020, was as close to home turf as the campaign could get. The team said it would have rejected Jake Tapper after he threatened to ban Republicans who endorsed the election lies. The campaign also made sure the pre- and post-town hall coverage featured Trump surrogates on air. Among the bookings, former Trump White House press aide Hogan Gidley, a pro-Trump congressman Brian Mast, and of course Byron Donalds, as well as pro-Trump Senator J.D. Vance. A spokesperson for CNN denied the network made any formal agreement to book those surrogates. Right. There's a lot more to this story. So make sure you head to The Guardian and read this piece by Hugo Lowell. Then kick kick The Guardian a couple bucks for being such an excellent source for news. All right, everybody, stay tuned. I'm going to be back with Ben Folds, and then we're going to read the good news. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. My Helix mattress and I, a love story, penned by Sleep Itself. Our rendezvous began as I'm cradled in a perfectly balanced bliss. We journey through REM sleep each night better than the last. Our bond unbreakable. Helix, you've crafted a mattress masterpiece that has stolen my heart. Everybody, go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. Take their two-minute online sleep quiz. It will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And you'll get 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows. You can throw out those my pillow pillows. You don't have to use them anymore. You get two free pillows with every mattress purchase. And right now, Helix has a lineup of 20 extraordinary mattresses. They have the Lauded Luxe Collection, designs for big and tall sleepers, even a cozy nest for little ones for kids. And they offer a world of comfort. Find your perfect fit in under two minutes with the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you receive your personalized mattress shipped free to your door. Experience your Helix mattress in the sanctuary of your home with their 100-night free trial and a 10- or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. Their large variety of models accommodate all sorts of different sleep positions and preferences, so there's definitely a perfect one for you. As a side sleeper, I was matched with the Helix Midnight. Medium firm support won me over. It is a colossal upgrade from my old mattress. Uh, Setup is swift. Uh, I've been enjoying a peaceful sleep ever since. Embrace the Helix way. Take the quiz, order your mattress. It will not be long until it gets delivered right to your doorstep. I'm happy to introduce the Creme de la Creme, the Helix Elite Collection for a truly luxurious sleep experience. They just keep getting better and better at Helix. So right now, Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans and use code HELIXPARTNER. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm honored to be joined today by one of my favorite musicians. He's the artistic advisor to the National Symphony Orchestra at the Kennedy Center. And he's about to go on tour with his new collection of songs, What Matters Most, which will be available on June 2nd, wherever you get your music. Please welcome Ben Folds. Hey, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Good. It's really, really, first of all, honored to meet you. I'm so glad that you were able to come on and speak to me today about your new album and your tour. This is your first new studio release in what, like eight years? Well, first, like the politicians do, I'd like to thank you for having me on your show. I'm a big fan of the show. Okay, yes, uh, your question. Uh, <laughs> I, I think 
Yeah, arguably since uh, since my last album that didn't have a massive collaboration on it, it might have been like since 2008, however many years that is. So it's been a while. Well, I'm 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 happy that you that you put this together because Thank it's you. awesome. And once I heard, by the way, Christine from the seventh grade, I had to reach out to you about it. And I want everybody to listen to a clip of that song from a recent live performance. Let's listen. I started to imagine her as someone named Christine, maybe from seventh grade, who now sends me QAnon stuff in email. So here's the song. It's very tragic. Like the uh, we we went to a good school, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's amazing. And you know, I get so many emails about people 
with friends and or acquaintances or even family members that have been kind of lost to Fox News. Mm -hmm. They'll be glad to know they're not alone here. What prompted you to write this song? Uh, The song actually came out of an exercise. I have a a little Patreon group. And during the Pandejo, we we were doing a a series of songwriting classes. And one of the things I thought to do was to have them bring me local news clips, local headlines. So this was called Headline Songs. And uh, what I wanted to show them is that because a piece is about something, a story, is that the song isn't necessarily going to follow that completely. Like you don't just rhyme it and then tell the story of the headline. So what really is the song inside the the headline? So every week I'd have a different one and I'd have a couple hours to write a song and then upload it. And this was one of those songs. I mean, I wasn't expecting to put these things on my album, but they sounded better than the shit that I was writing. So this song was, uh, came from a headline or a, a piece from the wall street journal that said, Uh, That was called something like, uh, why I won't take my shoes off in your shoeless home. (laughs) Okay, draw the line for us. How did it get from why I won't take my shoes off in your shoeless home to Christine from the seventh grade? Well, I didn't really want to write about the piece. It was one of those kind of, you know, it's another one of those divide us up, get everyone pissed off at each other for no good reason. Oh, wait a minute. There's good reason. It's it's like political like, you know, the latte sipping commies over here that take their shoes off and everyone else. Um, and I, I just I, I just wondered about the chick who wrote this piece. Her name was Chris with a K. And so the way I got into the song was like, I don't want to write about the shoeless home thing. Um, I want to write about the writer and, and why they write this crap. And I imagined her as being someone I knew from seventh grade, like Chris, Christine, oh, Christine from the seventh grade. And then uh, what does she do? Well, in the last three or four years, she's she had these jobs, but she also sends me all this weird conspiracy shit. And so I just, you know, like I, I put it together, like she used to smile at school. I remember her being a happy kid. Now I saw her on, on uh, uh, Facebook, which I personally don't have, but I saw her on that and was like, she doesn't look happy anymore. And now she's sending me a, just like, you know, it's in the, in the song. It's like, you know, uh, you know, dead fetuses and her posing with guns and her family and stuff like that. And it didn't, doesn't seem happy. It seems really dark. And, uh, and also we all know, um, we all know if, some of us know family members or our friends that can't speak anymore because of this crap. Mm. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, I do, I do hear a lot about that. We have a lot of, uh, cult experts and Mm. psychologists who come on the show to talk about how to talk to your, you know, maybe uh, communications experts that that discuss how to speak to family members and friends and acquaintances who, who we've, I guess the one way to look at it is, is that we've lost them to this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's never encouraging, which is why I think that the storytelling proponent of this, and you know, I've always been a huge proponent of storytelling, whether it's yeah. music or books or comedy or art or even journalism, like citizen journalism, because storytelling helps us feel like we're not alone. And knowing you're not alone is a great defense against mm. gaslighting. Mm. And what do you think? I mean, I I know that that uh, my position on this in the song, someone would listen to the song and they would know what side I'm on, if there are two sides these days, is that in itself being divisive? Like, 
I play them for audiences, and I think there's some people sitting out there in the audience who probably are offended. And now I've taken not that I mean I can offend people, that's fine, but doing it conveniently along that same line, am I not adding to it? And I've just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Well, in my view, there seems to be at least mostly, and I know we don't like to speak in generalizations or paint with broad brushes or whatever else, you know, whatever other metaphor you want to use for that. But there seems to be one side that tends to gaslight a little bit more than the other. And, and I feel like it's not ours. (laughs) (laughs) You put it bluntly. That's yes, correct. It's not our side, but I, I, I think that we're sort of all walking around with armed with facts and truth and uh, trying to sort of beat back uh, that interpretation or misinterpretation or people coming at us with alternative facts, yeah. as as Kellyanne Conway so eloquently put it. And, and I think that that kind of puts us all, at, at least over on this side of the fence, in a unique position to have to defend ourselves against gaslighting. Yeah, because it's it's I think it's very rampant uh, on the other side. But your whole record, which, by the way, I I'm, I feel lucky I've got to hear it before it's come out. So thank you for that. Uh, but it seems like it's a lot of storytelling, mm-hmm. a, a collection of stories that sort of address the current state of affairs. And I was mm-hmm. wondering if that was like intentional. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I see almost all my way into art in general is stories. It's either it's either you're implying a story, it could be happening in real time, or it could be a, a snapshot. Um, but I, I do see life as stories, and so my my or art as stories, and so almost my my go to is broad to narrow. You know, start off start off broad, and just if you can just get people to the next line by giving them one more bit of information, and that to me is 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 a story because it's the thing that leads us around the corner to something else, right? Uh, and I know that that there are other ways of writing, but I even think the other ways of writing that are more abstract still imply a story. In this case, my thing was, well, you know, I know this, uh, the, the business now, when you write, you write a song and it may not see the light of day for two years, which is the case with this record. And so uh, the challenge is writing something that is current for me, but also has some sort of universal, it's going to hopefully last so that you don't get your record released two years from now. And, and it's, it's a different world. And I, I think that's really hard to do, but you just have to find the real, the real thing inside it. And that's, that's tough. Yeah. And you know, a song comes to mind that's on there about the way we communicate via text a lot. And I was instantly, personally, instantly thought about lockdown in 2020 yeah. when, mm-hmm. when we were all having, when communicating by text, we didn't see each other. Then, you know, Zoom came out and we, you know, we got to see each other's faces a little bit, but then also, I think in 10, 20 years, because of that, I think things shifted in mm-hmm. the way that we communicate. And it will still always be relevant, even though I personally immediately go to lockdown yeah. or, you know, the alone together situation. I, I think that the way that it was presented is is, uh, is something that's lasting. Thank you. Well, you know, and, and I think on, on the flip side of that, too, there's something really neat about dating your art as well. I mean, I started thinking about the, uh, you know, the pandemic of the, the flu of 1918 and you, and you, you can't find anything after that references it. It's like once, once they were out of that, granted there had been a world war, which might've, you know, uh, overshadowed it. Uh, but, but 
people move out of that and they don't want to think about it anymore. And I think everyone's sort of like, I'm not making a lockdown record. I don't want to make a lockdown record and date it. And and I kind of was sort of like, I think I want to make a lockdown record and date it because this this is useful, I hope, you know? Well, it is. And so much of what we learned, good or bad in lockdown, I think has stuck with us. I, I mm. think, like I said, I think it's really shifted things. That, a lot of stuff stays. The way we, politically speaking, the way we campaign. You know, mm. it used to be knocking doors. Now we have all this very amazing text banking and phone banking and things that we can do remotely, which not only helps us in general, but also it gives voice to folks who couldn't door knock in the first place. Yeah. And so it really sort of we, we find these best practices and we take them forward with us. So I really appreciate the the level of storytelling. In, no, thank you. Glad you in heard this it. record. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sending it. Sure, sure. Everybody, I've seen... Ben folds a few times live, and it's always a truly, truly memorable experience. You know, speaking of headlines, I remember, I think the show that I went to, uh, where you were with San Diego Symphony, we wrote a song on the spot mm. using a recent headline and or, you know, things just taken from life, almost like improv. Yeah. It's, you know, but with uh, with a symphony behind you. Yeah. And then, you know, you you talk about the songs and there's there's again a lot of storytelling. And I really encourage everybody to go to Benfolds.com slash tour and grab tickets to an upcoming performance. You're kicking this tour off like right now, I think is about when you're gonna hit the road. And be sure to get what matters most. It's the new album, it's out June second. Say, Ben, Dana's out today. Mm. Would you care to join me for the good news? I'll try. I'm scared. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Given some of the recent stories we've had, I could see how you might be yeah. scared. But... <laughs> what have you got for me? <laughs> we'll see what it is today. Let's just go. We'll just, you know, we take it one day at a time here at the Daily Beans. But thank you, everybody. We're going to be right back with the good news with Ben Folds. Stick around. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have any good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to send a shout out to a loved one that you think needs a shout out, or if you want to give a shout out to an adoptable pet in your area, or you want to play What the Mutt, or What the Heck Wine, because I can oddly guess horse breeds now, or if you have a whoopee story, or just anything at all, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Ben, welcome back. Are you ready to help read the good news with me? Yes. Yes, I'm good. I'm good. Let's do it. Okay. All right, here we go. First up from Lola Gale. She, her incredible artist, Lola. Hello, my gorgeous, witty, fabulous overlords of the beans. I just thought I would share my latest happy spot. We have a big backyard that I let go wild and usually do a crop circle every year. (laughs) This year, the circle was more like a drunken oval hiccup oops. So I decided to try my hand at something more uh, campestral. Now, my very flat yard looks like a proper English garden. The dandelions are loving it. The bees are loving it. I'm loving it, especially because I can go out there in my bare feet. And yes, it really is a flat yard. Trust me. And here are the photos. Oh, oh, I see what you've done, Lola. This is lovely. I'm, you know, so many times people tell me, AG, go outside and touch grass. This is where I would want to go and do that. So thank you for that submission. Ben, who do we have next? We have Scott. He, him. He says... Loving the beans. 
Here's a picture of my grand dog, Charlie, who seems to have some fashion model jeans. (laughs) Okay. Look at those legs. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Draw me like one of your French girls. Uh, What is Charlie? Is Charlie like a... German Shepherd looks like Shepherd mix, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so cute. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, Scott. Next up, from Lana Banana in Arizona, pronoun she and her. In 2020, my hubby and I took in my frail 82-year-old MAGA mom to keep her safe from COVID. I'm very grateful to say we survived all 381 days in complete isolation. We kept her alive, vaxxed, and she lived independent again. She died naturally a year later, surrounded by love. You all have enhanced my world for a long time, and words are not enough to say thank you. After J6, I had a mini meltdown for a few weeks and took a break from the news. I would listen to your good news only, and it gave me hope. I knew I was going to be fine when I listened to the story from the middle school teacher and the double-headed dildo field trip. (laughs) So, update. Uh, Number one, I'm still sober, 43 years. Congrats. Number two, I finally dealt with my rape. And number three, hubby and I are celebrating 41 years of wedded bliss. Still working on our love life because with a live-in Grammy, it did not happen. LOL. Number four, fully vaxxed, just got my sixth jab. Still and always will be an activist. Thanks to you all, I've included a picture of a cool plant of mine that is finally blooming. Any guesses? Uh, Ben, do you know what this is? That looks like my right piano hand. (laughs) I think it's a called, it's got a hand in the name, but I can't remember. Well, ooh, we've got an answer. We have an answer. It's a, ah, a citron type plant called the hand of Buddha. Oh. Thank you again. That's right. That's right. Wow. Thank you so much for that um, for that submission, Lana Banana. I really appreciate it. Hand of Buddha. Vana, she, her. Hello, ladies. My oldest daughter got her dream dog last spring, a mini dashhound, baby she named Lucky. He is such a sweet boy with the absolute best facial expressions. He is a side-eye pro. So when you made the request for awkward family pet photos, I knew this was his moment of glory. And then there's a a laughing with tears emoji. He has a love-hate relationship with my second oldest, as clearly seen in the photo. And Joy, thanks for being the light in this disturbingly dark world. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) You know what they say, big feet. Look at that guy. That is a really good side eye. You are correct. Next up from Hilda or Jilda, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that pronoun, she, her, and they. I was listening to your show on 5-8, Seditious Conspiracy. And at the end, you invited experience about the things you say that make us think of pop culture references. First, I wanted to comment about the PAC masquerading as a breast cancer advocacy group because I don't want your listeners to confuse the ABCC, the American Breast Cancer Coalition, with the NBCC. The NBCC, the National Breast Cancer Coalition, is a legitimate breast cancer advocacy group. NBCC has been fighting breast cancer for decades through advocacy, education, policy, and research. Also, simply fast-tracking drugs through the FDA is not really a strong tool in fighting cancer and has the potential for putting ineffective drugs on the market. They are made up of two entities, one lobbying for law changes and another that's strictly charitable. They do not fundraise for specific candidates, unlike the ABCC. I'm a breast cancer survivor and advocate and know their work. You can learn more at stopbreastcancer.org. 
And choosing a name that is very similar to a legit organization is a deliberate choice, which is why I don't donate over the phone to anyone and encourage everyone to check out whom you are sending your money to. For my pop culture reference, I'm a new listener, although I've followed you on Twitter for a while. I started with Jack so I could stay up to date on the investigation. FYI, I prefer the original title, You Don't Know Jack. I'm also a substitute teacher who spends a lot of time with children and thus am exposed to their level of humor. When listening to the description of what Jack was like, you often describe him as very quiet yet effective uh, in getting convictions. And what popped into my head was Jack, silent but deadly, like a fart. Mm. <laughs> okay. And now that is why I think every time I hear Jack being described as quietly working, I think of that. Also, when I see pictures of him looking stern in those purple robes. <laughs> Now that I'm hooked on Jack, I've been listening to Muller She Wrote and Clean Up on Aisle 45. And I started listening to Muller She Wrote, the original series. Thanks for helping me get through the day. Here's our cat, Daisy, who loves cream cheese. I, I don't know any cats that don't love cream cheese, but Daisy is a beautiful tortie. Look, oh. Daisy cream cheese. Very good. Very good kitty. Thank you for that submission. Raging Southpaw. She, her. Mother's Day Dilemma. What to do with a right-wing parent? In the 1990s, our young sons would frequently visit my in-laws. My father-in-law would occasionally use the N-word. I could not tolerate it anymore. I pulled him aside and sternly said, Look, we love you and we want our sons to grow up knowing you, but if you ever use the N-word in front of them again, you will never see your grandsons again. My father-in-law looked stunned, and he never used the N-word in front of us again. It worked. Perhaps an in-law may have more power in situations like this. I don't have the baggage with my father-in-law that my husband hauls around with his father. Just a suggestion. May people, may help people in similar situations with their families. Mm. Yeah, we we had a, um, Ben, we had a submission earlier in the week from someone who wasn't sure what to do because grandma was wearing an American flag shirt where the stripes are <laughs> AK-47s or AR-15s. In front of her children, yeah. right? And the kids were like, why? And, you know, kids are going through these shooter drills and all this other stuff. And the kids are like, why? Why is that happening? And they were like, what should we do? What should we do? And I said, well, you know, set a boundary. So you can't wear mm. that shirt over to our house anymore around the kids. You know, some, you know, boundaries are healthy. So yeah. uh, I think this is another great example of that. So thanks for that submission. Well, it's hard to do. It takes a little bit of courage. Well done. Yeah, well. I'm always so afraid, too, that it, when I set a boundary with somebody that I love, that they'll be upset or yeah. angry with me. And But it's always 100% cool. Mm. Uh, you know, it's always fine. So I encourage it. Next up from Megan, pronouns she and her. Good morning. May Herako Femme. Oh, very nice. French for the ladies of the beans. Just writing to thank you for being a lifeline these past few weeks as I've been waking up at ungodly hours to take care of the beautiful baby in the attached photos. So kid story. Years back, I was in the car with my two littles. They were probably two and a half and four and a half. Thunderstruck was on the radio. My son had been absolutely sports crazed since he became sentient. So I said, ooh, listen up, buddy. This is one you'll hear in every locker room ever. It's a song a sports guy should know. After he says, oh, I know why it's a sports guy song. They're saying football instead of thunder. That's cute and funny, right? But wait. Then the two-year-old baby girl with her sweet baby voice pipes up and says, oh, I thought they were saying tacos. <laughs> and forever after, we now sing tacos instead of thunder. And I changed Thunderstruck to taco truck. <laughs> Excellent. Um, there's a little backstory on that too, Ben. My goddaughter, when she was a baby, used to ride around in her 
mom's backpack and we would go for walks and she would uh like the the baby would just make the the uh sound while walking so it would be like uh, 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 uh. and all of a sudden one day i'm like thunder and then we just start singing <laughs> thunderstruck over the baby so um and now it's her it's her favorite song i think she's almost god almost 14 holy crap look at this wow. puppy yeah oh and look at the kid <laughs> yeah dude it's an that's a o'doyle rules that kid is going to be in sports look at that kid that is so adorable. Thank you so much. Yeah, the booby between the eyes is what I get all the time with my glasses. <laughs> that's, that's, I thought that I was looking in the mirror there for a second. Yeah, I like tacos. Tacos. Da, 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 da. I think that's, I think that's a better, I think that's improves it, especially with our taco trucks on every corner, like the Dems want, you know, yeah. the future liberals want taco trucks on every corner ben thank you so much again total honor for coming on and talking about the album talking about your tour again everybody go to benfolds.com slash tour thank you find out where he's going to be and go see him you will not regret it i promise i can speak from personal experience do you have any final thoughts before we sign off today no i'm just i'm starstruck and happy to be here (laughs) it went so fast can we do it again we can definitely do it again sometime you let me know Whenever you want to come on, you are welcome. Everybody, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Dana will be back Wednesday. Don't worry. She's not gone forever. She's just touring, doing her HRC thing, raising tens of millions of dollars to support the LGBTQ plus community like the amazing person she is. Until we meet again, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring somebody with you. I've been AG. Oh, and I'm BF. <laughs> I got a cord in there, too. Thank you very much. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. M-S-W-Media. <laughs>